0: Tell the world he's mine Gladly I'll proclaim This gospel to all people I am not ashamed I will claim his name Now I take my stand in Jesus And serve the Lord today I give my strength and Tell the world he's mine Gladly I'll proclaim this gospel to James, I will claim his name, I will claim his name.
1: Amen, that's good. Well, let's go ahead and take our Bibles tonight, turn over to the book of Proverbs, chapter 21, verse 5. If I get distracted, don't be concerned. It's just that my notes are crooked. I don't know why. When they printed out here just a moment ago, they're going crooked on the page, and that drives me crazy. I don't know. I'm just kind of weird like that. I look from the left down the line, and it's just they're not the same distance, and that just really throws me off. All right. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5. Let's take a few moments tonight and be encouraged, I trust, by just a simple thought, a simple thought tonight. Chapter 21, verse 5. One of the great books of the Bible, the book of Proverbs, amen? Boy, so many truths and just so much wisdom. <clears throat> Again, it's one of those books and that we encourage young people to read consistently daily. Uh, it's one that many of us uh, would be wise to do the same and boy, I'll tell you what, you know, we talk about maturity in the Christian life, and, uh, boy, I'll tell you what, biblical wisdom and all of those things, boy, reading the book of Proverbs can really help us out. <clears throat> I've known some people that have made the statement that you can't understand the book of Proverbs. It's kind of hard to figure out. Well, I don't know about that, but what I do know is it's very practical. Very practical. Excuse me. So, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5, let's start there. We'll read just one verse tonight. The Bible says, the thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but of everyone that is hasty only to want. The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but of of everyone that is hasty only to want. Now in the passage, there's a couple words. Number one, diligent. We see that word diligent. I'm sorry, my voice is fine. It's my throat that's bad. I feel perfectly fine tonight. I could probably whip 95% of the men in the room. <laughs> but the fact is, <clears throat> and that's only if I had to, that's that, that only the other 5% because you'd have to do it at once together. <laughs> but my, uh, my uh, something about like right in there, you know what I mean? Just gets right there. Okay, so anyway, we'll see how it works out. But nonetheless, diligent, diligent. And that word, dil- get out of here, get out of here. <laughs> that word diligent, that word diligent means constant in efforts. <laughs> what are you trying to do, sabotage the front row, brother? You give that to me and I'll spit it out while I'm preaching or something. Somebody I'm going to take it right in the eye. Just sit down where you're at. We don't need any of those in my mouth right now. That could be dangerous. <clears throat> constant in effort. Constant in effort is diligent. Consistent, day in, day out. We could say basically the person that's diligent is a hard worker. They're hard working. We could say that they're consistent and disciplined. Uh, we could also make the point that they plan ahead. They look down the road. They don't just see the road. They look down the road. <clears throat> um, we could say that they save regularly. In this particular case, the thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness. This guy or this gal's is hardworking, consistent and disciplined, plans ahead, and saves regularly, consistently. On the other hand, we have this person that's referred to as being hasty. Hasty. Hasty um, meaning seeking a quick return, a get-rich-quick, if you will. Now, it wasn't that long ago, just a few days back, they had that big pot there, I guess, uh, what was it, $1.6 billion for the lottery? Isn't that what it was or something? I mean, some of you played it. You know what I'm talking about. I was tempted to. I was just afraid I'd win, and then my picture would be on the front of the newspaper or something. I guess the worst thing could have happened is you'd have fired me, but I've still been rich. But the, the, the thing is, is that <clears throat> what? So anyway, the the fact is though is that is that I mean the hasty person here seeking a quick return, a get rich quick scheme type thing, has big dreams. Well, it's funny. Everybody has big dreams, don't they? <clears throat> really, we we as a whole have big dreams. <clears throat> continues this person continues to hope. But in the end they're disappointed. That's what the passage teaches. But everyone that's hasty, only to one. That person, oh, they have big dreams. They continue to hope like everybody else, but in the end, it doesn't work out for them. Uh, you know, things don't happen quickly usually. I mean, we don't get rich overnight. We don't build strong marriages overnight. We don't have strong families overnight. We don't build solid churches overnight. Everything takes time if it's done the right way. <clears throat> Anne Schreiber was 101 years old when she died in January 1995. 101, isn't that something? <clears throat> First year, she lived in a tiny, run-down, rent-controlled studio apartment in Manhattan, New York. The paint was peeling off the walls. There were old bookcases that were just lined the wall. They were covered in dust. Rent was just $400 a month there for her because she had been renting there for so long. They never raised the rent. Schreiber lived on Social Security and a small monthly pension. She uh, started receiving her pension in 1943 when she retired as an auditor for the Internal Revenue Service. Now, she hadn't done very well at the IRS. More accurately, it would probably be safe to say that the agency wasn't, didn't do right by her. I mean, this particular woman, despite having a law degree and doing excellent work, she was never promoted. And when she retired at the age of 51... She was making only $3,150 a year. <clears throat> she was treated very, very shabbily, said Benjamin Clark, who knew her well, about as well as anyone did. He went on to say she really had to fend for herself in every way. It was really quite a struggle. Shriver was the model of thrift. She didn't spend money on herself. You know, she didn't buy new furniture as the old pieces she owned became worn out. She didn't even subscribe to a newspaper. Once a week, she went on down to the local public library, and there she'd read the Wall Street Journal. Imagine the surprise of Norman Lamb, the president of Yeshiva University in New York City, when he found out that Ann Schreiber, a little old lady, whose name had never even been heard of him, uh, and who had never even attended uh, Yeshiva, left nearly her entire estate to the university. You say, whatever, big deal, right? Well, he said, when I saw the will, it was mind blowing. Such an unexpected windfall," said Land. "This woman has become a legend overnight. <clears throat> the estate Anne Schreiber left to Yeshiva University was worth twenty-two million dollars. How in the world did a spinster who had been retired for fifty years build an eight-figure fortune? The answer is she did it one day at a time. By the time she retired from the IRS in 1943, Ann Schreiber had managed to save $5,000. She invested that money in stocks. By 1950, she had made enough profit to buy uh, 1,000 shares, I should say, of Shearing Plow Corporation stock. It was then valued at $10,000. And she held on to that stock, letting, it, letting its value build. From the time she died, <clears throat> those original shares split enough times to produce 128,000 shares, worth 7.5 million alone. Like her Shearing Plow stock, she also saw growth in her investments in Coca-Cola, Paramount, and more than 100 other stocks as well, growing to around 22 million by her death at 101 years of age. What are some of the secrets of her uncanny success? What enabled her, this as it says, this spinster, this spinster that, that had literally retired so many years ago with virtually no real pension at all, living in just a simple apartment? What enabled her to build such a portfolio? Well, she lived a simple life, <clears throat> not an extravagant one. Anne would never have accumulated that significant amount if she had lived an extravagant life, obviously. I mean, she sacrificed many comforts and conveniences in order to end up wealthy. Most would say that she was crazy, that she was a little bit off kilter. I mean, that she should enjoy her money and indulge somewhat. As far as this life is concerned, Maybe she should have enjoyed purchasing and reading her own newspaper, at least. But one can't deny the outcome of her chosen lifestyle. Number two, not only did she live a simple life, not an extravagant one, but she never stopped investing. One writer commented about Ann's success as follows. He said, quote, The secret to Schreiber's success was that she spent most of her life building her wealth. Whether her stock's values went up or down, she didn't sell it off with the thought. Excuse me, she didn't sell it off with the thought, I'm finished building, now it's time to cash out. She was in it for the long haul, the really long haul. When she earned dividends, which kept getting larger and larger, she reinvested them in additional stocks. She spent her whole lifetime building. While other people, older people, worry about the fact that they may run out of funds before the end of their lives, she just became more wealthy than ever. she lived a simple life, not an extravagant one. She never stopped investing. And finally, the payoff was out of this world. $22 million. That's an amazing amount of money for a woman who retired in 1943 with a top salary of a little over $3,000 a year. It's amazing, isn't it? Simply amazing. As I read this story, I can't help but think about our lives as believers and maybe make or somehow notice a couple of spiritual parallels here. We can learn from this woman who died at 101 years of age with $22 million in her estate. And so tonight, I wanna do just that. I wanna take this simple thought and maybe apply it to our lives as believers tonight, quickly, but hopefully very practically. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for all that you mean to us and all you do. Father, we know that we are nothing without you. You're the vine, we're the branches. We come to you now and ask that, Lord, you would manifest yourself in our lives, that you would reveal yourself to us through your word, that, Father, our hearts would be stirred as we consider what this elderly lady did through those years of her life and realize that, Lord, maybe we too could be in a position where one day our estate, so to speak, would be worth much more than any would ever imagine. Father, we certainly look forward to eternity as well and ask, Lord, that you'd bless us and help us to prepare. In Christ's name we pray, amen. This isn't a message about you giving 22 million to the church, by the way, so you can relax. If you have 22 million dollars and you haven't given us 10 of it, you're a bad person, friend, because you don't need all 22 million. But anyway... I'm not going to retract that statement either. But anyway, moving on, I'm going to have you call another man by the name of, uh, let's see, Brother Anderson, who helped with starting the, the school, Hiles Anderson College, and, see, and talk to him about giving money if you have money. But anyway, we'll get that straight real quick. But uh, first of all, live a simple life and not an extravagant one. We could learn from her. You know, as believers, we need to learn this principle to not live a simple, to just simply live a, a simple life, not an extravagant one. In the book of Matthew, turn there, chapter 6, verse 33. <clears throat> and the Bible teaches us, the Lord Jesus Christ speaking, he makes the statement over here in Matthew 6, verse 33, a, a very powerful statement. One that I think sometimes we overlook. He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, And all these things shall be added unto you. Now, again, what we find in the Word of God is that we should not be placing so much emphasis on material things. We need to use those things, but we can't, nor should we, abuse those things. When they become the goal of our life, that becomes a problem for the believer. See, we ought to really be very content to live a simple life you know its it's sad in our day in our culture where it seems today and, and again it 's it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but that people will kill each other for shoes and for particular phones and jewelry and different things like that it makes it's really out outrageous if you will uh, I mean years ago it used to be you know certain types of jean jackets were very popular, and people would knock somebody over, beat them up, and steal their jean jacket i mean to have such an emphasis on material things that it costs you you know your your well-being your life or something for somebody to hurt or harm someone in order to gain it to get it i mean to envy it so much that you do that to someone is just beyond comprehension to me that's not how i think we ought to function nor should we operate as believers we may look at that and condemn that kind of behavior but in reality we live our lives a little bit like that we'll neglect god we'll neglect his house we'll neglect others we'll neglect our families so that we can accumulate and mass wealth in our lives Live a simple life, not an extravagant one. You know, sometimes you don't need the best shoes. Sometimes you don't need the best suit. Sometimes we don't need the best phone. Sometimes the one we have is sufficient. Sometimes we don't need the best car. Sometimes we just need the one that continues to run. I'm not against new things and I'm not against nice things. I think that's a good thing. But when those things become priority and precedence in our life and other things like God and his work and the things of God go second, there's a problem. Live a simple life. Be content with simple things. Boy, I'll tell you what, if there's an area that's destroying our world, and and, and, and sadly enough, many of our marriages, even within the context of the local church, it's this desire to want things, to have to have things. Man, I'm about sick and tired of young couples starting off thinking that they should have everything their parents have. That bothers the life out of me. And you know what that breeds? That breeds dual-income homes. That breeds nobody home with the children. And so we have all the things, but we don't have a home. And it says, I don't agree with that. You don't have to agree with it. But look at our world today and then tell me how good it's turning out. We got problems. And I'll tell you what, the reason that's happening is because things are more important than the real things that matter to God. Live a simple life, not an extravagant one. There are needs that have to be met. God is very aware of those needs. But we do have to be very careful. Furthermore, when we make those things like riches and things so vastly important in our life, it becomes an obstacle and it becomes a hindrance to us. Look at First Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. Before we get to that passage, you're turning to it. I want you to realize today that in America, there's not one person in this room that is not rich compared to world standards. Okay, let's just get there. Before we even get there, there's not one person in the room that's poor compared to the world. If you would go to other countries today, you'd realize you are rich beyond your imagination. You say, well, my car's junk. You got one. You know, my house is in shambles. Well, at least you have one. You're not living on a box beside a railroad somewhere. And you got food in your belly. Well, I have to have food stamps. I can't even make it. I have a lot of stupid food stamps. They don't give me enough every month. You ought to be glad you get anything. First of all, you could be over there in the Philippines, sitting over there beside the railroad tracks, eating a little bit of rice every once in a while and trying to make a living, spending 13, 14, 16, 18 hours a day just to live. Look, preacher, this is fun. I'm sure glad I came to church tonight. I thought you said this was going to be uplifting, encouraging. Yeah, I know. I did too. I don't know what's happening here. It's this... Message, it's crooked, it's got me all kilter. (laughs) First Timothy chapter six, verse nine. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, for while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Boy, again, we're just being warned again. Live a simple life. Try not to be so extravagant in things. We don't always need the best things. What we need are the things that God wants for us. Let's just have balance in our lives. That's all. But I'll tell you what, if you can afford a new car, get one. That's fine, you know. Enjoy the things God has provided for you and allows you to have. But be careful that you don't make this living a comfortable, very, um, a life of ease your goal. If that's what it's all about. I mean, man, there's one little, uh, you know, Somebody hit my car the other day. Man, there's a little crack in the front end. Who cares? Life will live. I'll live. It's not a brand new car. It's 13. It's, what is it? 2003. It's 12 years old. I'm going to end up giving it away to somebody. Don't line up, fellas. I mean, I'm not going to sell it. I'm not going to probably trade it in. I won't do that probably. Now, I don't know. I may trade it in. I don't know (laughs) if I get the right deal. But anyway, the fact is, is that I'll probably just give it away to somebody. Because that's what I do with my cards. I don't like to sell things. I hate that stuff. I don't like pressure, you know? And I don't know anybody coming to my house and knowing where I live. I'm kind of weird like that. You know? I mean, before, I was, I was, I was a pastor at Community Baptist Temple and I had an unlisted number. I was so worried somebody would find out where I was and make prank calls or something. <laughs> just, I was a little bit out of my mind, okay? But nonetheless, and I still am. But, but you know, those are the things. I mean, but but the fact is, is that wow, it's okay. You know what I mean? We'll make it. It'll be all right. We can still use it the way it is. It'll work. It'll get me back and forth to work and it's very comfortable as well. So nonetheless, let's be careful with that. So number one, live a simple life and not an extravagant one. I think we learned that from uh, Ann Shriver. Number two, I think we learned to make sure that we use God's blessings to bless others. When it was all said and done, she took that $22 million And she turned around and gave it to a university that would ultimately utilize it for the sake of helping people with education. Man, I I like that she was selfless like that. I'm glad that she took that money and invested it in a nonprofit. She could have easily used it for any other thing she wanted to, but she cared about people enough to say, you guys use it. I know that there are young men and young ladies that can be benefit from this this 22 million. And you want to know something in our Christian lives? I think that... We need to be very aware that whatever blessings we do possess, we do need to use it to bless others. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. <clears throat> and by the way, like I said, we're rich, really. We really are. Yeah, we are. I mean, I, I know. you. Someone says, well, you know, I don't make a lot of money. Yeah, but you're still rich. Think about what you have that you could bless somebody else with that doesn't maybe have everything you have. I'll, I'll be honest, let's just, let's just make it real simple for you and take away all excuses. Do you have a decent family God's given you? Oh, watch this. Do you know there are a lot of people out there that don't have a decent family that if you would share your family with them, they'd be blessed? Oh, I would never. Oh, yeah, trust me. I know, Mr. Paranoid. I understand that. But let me tell you something. If we're going to impact this world, if we're going to really make a difference in lives, then we need to allow people to see us where we live and that Jesus makes a difference there, not just when we're out here. That can be a blessing, too. You can share that blessing with them. Really quiet now. <laughs> wow, when you talk about money, I knew I didn't have anything to give, and now you're saying I have to invite somebody over to my house even? Oh, forget that junk. Okay, so make sure that we use God's blessing to bless others. Look at Second Corinthians 8, verse 9. Second Corinthians 8, verse 9. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty... Might be rich. You know, basically what it's saying is simply this. That he had it and he made sure you did. He blessed you with his blessings, so to speak. What he possessed, he said, you know what? I could keep it to myself. I can enjoy it for myself. But you know what? I'm going to share everything I have with those people. Man, what an unbelievable attitude and spirit that is. And that's the attitude and spirit we ought to have. Isn't it amazing someone like Ann Shriver will go off into eternity and leave her entire state to a school who's simply going to provide maybe an education for somebody and help some people in this life. And yet we'll leave this world and leave nothing to God's house. And we'll leave nothing to the work of God. We'll leave nothing to eternity. Isn't that sad when you think about that? Now, many of you give very well, and we wouldn't be where we're at without the faithful giving of God's people. My goodness, I promise you this. If I have anything when I die, my kids aren't getting it all. I guarantee you that. Because they're not going to do anything for me in eternity, but the house of God that he died for will. I'm going to be honest with you. That's just my personal view. I I see it that way. And somebody says, that's ridiculous. Well, you go and look at any great ministry across this country or any great movement in this country, people have sacrificed for it. You know, you have a beautiful wedding ring that your husband gave you. There have been people through the years that have pulled wedding rings off their hands and threw it into an offering plate because they said, I'm going to invest in eternity. I don't need this big ring. What I do want is the blessing of God when I cross over to the other side. Right. So he says, well, that's not stuff you like to talk about because that turns people off of church. I know that's why I'm talking about on Sunday night, not Sunday morning. Because <laughs> you can handle it. I don't know about Sunday morning crowd. I, so I didn't want to say that in their presence. So, 2 Corinthians, we see that Christ leaves that wonderful example for us. You know, and and we're blessed because God was willing to become poor for us, that we could be rich. Take your Bible, look over at Philippians chapter 2 now, verse 3. As we see now, the responsibility of every believer, as the Lord took that upon himself, as he made that step and, and enabled us to enjoy his blessings, he then turns around and tells us that we ought to share ours with others. And again, this is, goes long past your money. This goes to everything God gives you. I mean, this is about things that... I, I, there's some people in our church that are extremely benevolent, not just with their finances, but with themselves and with their their just things. You know, they, they look for needs to be met, and they try to find a need they can meet. And boy, that's a, a, that is a blessing. That, that right there is a gift in my eyes. I think, man, good for you, you know. Praise God that you're so selfless, that you're seeing and looking for the needs of others. That's a blessing. And I think more of us ought to be that way. And we ought to be very clear and very aware of needs. And look at what it says in Philippians 2, verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife and vainglory. Boy, how much of what we do is really for self-glory. To get a pat on the back. To somehow affirm our value in the eyes of others. And make us feel worthy of, of, you know, being a, you know, I'm, I'm somebody there. And boy, I tell you what, you know, them ladies, they stood up and sang this morning and then this evening. And boy, I tell you what, they did such a wonderful job. But, but let me tell you, if they stood up here going, you know, I hope these people really like this, and I hope maybe afterwards we'll hear some, you did a good job, and boy, that'd be great. And I agree, that would be wonderful. And I think if they do a good job, we ought to let them know they did. But if their motivation was simply to receive the applause of mankind, then they missed out. They missed out on what it was really about. See, they got, they're sharing something that's not theirs with others. They're giving something that is theirs to others. They're, they're saying, I've been given an ability, I've been given a talent, and I want to share that with God and with others, and that in and of itself ought to be the reward. Notice what he says here in Philippians 2, 3 through 8. Let nothing be done through strife and vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Wow, that's a tough pill to swallow, but hold on. Why, why or how could this be the case? Well, verse 5. Let this mind be in you. What mind? Which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So he says, I'm not going to ask you to do something that I haven't done for you. I became poor so that you could be rich. I mean, I was rich beyond your imagination, but I became poor for you. I'm going to share my blessings with you. And whatever talent you have, what, whatever treasures you have, whatever, tal, uh, whatever um, um, I guess, um, time that you have, you ought to use it and share it with others. How long do you have? How long do I have on this earth? We don't know, do we? I mean, you think about it. What if tomorrow is our last day on earth? What if Jesus returns? And we're all gone. We're all taken out of here tomorrow. Where will everything that we've accumulated and worked so hard to, 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 to amass, where, where does it end up? Who, who ends up using it anyway? Who gets it in the end? I mean, really. Where's that house that you sacrificed your time, your talent, your energy for? Who, who's going to be living in it then? If everybody's saved in your household... Probably a lost family member. Probably or or some bum down the street that never worked a day in his life says, Well, I guess I'll just move in because nobody else is there. I'm just saying. What what are we doing here? Do we really think about how things really work in the end? I mean how it all comes together. Because I don't know, I I think Ann Shriver had it figured out a little bit. So make sure that we use God's blessings to bless others number three we must invest for a lifetime and eternity so in first corinthians fifteen 58, let's turn there first corinthians 15 58 you know the christianity you know if, if what we do is just simply go to church and you know we have a good time fellowship and we sing a few songs and Everybody, you know, every once in a while we get together and we make a few pies and have a little bit of, you know, food after the service and, you know, help out at a few funerals here and there. And that's about the extent of our existence in the local church. And that's the extent of our investment. We're wasting our time, folks. That's not what the church is about. Church isn't about you having a a, a fellowship with people and just enjoying, you know, a, a time together like you would if you walked down to you know, the Cheers Tavern, and, you know, everybody knows your name. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, really, I mean, that's not what this is about. This isn't we come in and, boy, we feel good because everybody knows us. we got kind of like this extended family. That's what it's really all about. No, we don't gather for that purpose. That That is a byproduct of what we do. The reality is we gather together because there's a world going to hell, and Jesus Christ has given us some marching orders, and we're to reach a world with the gospel, and we're to help to build up and equip people to go out and do the work. Man, God wants us to honor him through our, our time, through our effort, in every aspect of our life. But this church and any other church, if it's simply a social club, we've got a problem. So we come together to invest in this life, to take our time, to take our, our talents and our treasures and say, I'm going to invest them in something that matters in life and something that matters in eternity. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I am fifty-two years old, going on fifty-three. I'll be honest with you. I'm not sure that I have the same level of energy I used to have. I'm not convinced that I'm quite as athletic as I used to be. Not that I was really ever that athletic. I never could slam dunk a basketball unless it was a seven-foot rim. I I really wasn't that athletic. However, let me say this. Even though I'm getting older, I want you to realize I can still do something. I I may not be able to do everything I used to do, but I can do something. Now, the the fact is, is that you and I need to invest for a lifetime. You may not be able to do what you used to do 20 or 30 years ago, but you can do something. You can do what you can do. You know, it's sad sometimes as we check out of the Christian life as we get older. You know, I, I, there's a, a, a couple of folks here that I, I really admire. And, and there's one man that I admire. He, he, he can't do what he used to do. But boy, I'll tell you what. If you need food delivered, if you need errands run, if you need somebody to pick somebody up, this guy, he, that he's on it. I mean, he makes you, and you don't feel like you're putting him out when you ask him. Man, I love that spirit. I love the fact that he says, okay, I can't do what I used to do or that I, what I want to do even, but I can do what I can do, and I'm going to keep investing in this life and eternity till the day I die. Amen. That's it. And that's exactly what Ann Shriver did. She just kept investing and reinvesting. And then finally there was that big payoff. Jesus did that. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Jesus invested his time. He invested his talents. He invested his treasures. He invested it in this life and he invested it right on into it. And everything he did in this life was an investment for eternity as well. Finally, number four. And last. Again, we've already touched on it, but never forget that there is a payday coming. There's a payday coming. There's no, no investment you make in this life that's going to ever come back without any return. You know, I, I've, I, I made an investment years ago. I've told you about it. But uh, I, I made an investment in Navistar International Stock when I was just 20 years old, I believe it was. And I've held on to it like Ann Shriver. It's probably worth one-tenth of what I paid for it. I guess if I hold on to it for another 50 years, maybe it'll be worth 7.5 mil, but I doubt it. But I remember buying that stock for $778, 7.78 is what it cost at that time. And I thought, 100 shares, I'm going after it. Man, I'm, I, I mean, I had a stock tip. My dad's stockbroker told him, man, this thing's going to go up, be 12 bucks in a matter of a couple months. I thought, I'm going to flip that stock, man. I'm going to make me some quick cash. Well, it's, it, it flipped all right. They, 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 they didn't have a stock split the right way. They had a stock split the wrong way. And it didn't just go back two for one. It went ten for one backwards. So instead of having a hundred shares, I had only ten shares of stock now. That's not how it is with investment in God's work, though. Praise the Lord. When you invest in God's work, you can be guaranteed a payday ahead look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 as we close 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 11 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 11 there we read for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid which is Jesus Christ now if any man build upon this foundation gold silver precious stone wood hay stubble Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If a man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Boy, I tell you what, I, I know that there's a part of us that almost cringe because we, we, we really don't want to somehow feel like we're working for a reward, because we we want to re- really want to feel like we're serving the Lord simply out of love and out of out of gratitude and and that's good and i think we ought to try to do that for any if there's no other reason to serve christ to just be out of gratitude you know but the reality is is that god has told us he's going to give us some rewards i'll tell you what if that's the case then i want to make sure that i'm set good when i get to heaven now can you imagine for just a moment if this was heaven where we live and ann schreiber had saved up $22 million, and the moment she closed her eyes in death and she woke up in heaven, she had 22 mil now to apply to her life. And she didn't have to worry about it running out because it would last for an eternity. Man, she could live extravagantly then. She could have anything she ever wanted and desired. She'd truly be set for life, so to speak. You know, in this life, it is a battle. In this life, we as believers are not guaranteed comfort and convenience And it's not to be our goal in life, to be comfortable or for things to be convenient. We're not to gravitate to the path of least resistance. No, instead, we ought to be striving to honor Christ with our lives, our lips, and every aspect of our being. And the Lord Jesus Christ himself says, there's going to be a payday. Well, I'll tell you what, there's a reason to live a simple life and not be so extravagant. There's a good reason to, to uh, use God's blessings in our life to bless others. There's a payday coming. I mean, there's a good reason to invest throughout this life and for eternity. Because there is a payday coming. The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness. But of everyone that is hasty, only to one. If we're so desperate to have everything now, we will only want an eternity. Let's make sure that we are diligent in this life to prepare for the next. Boy, the Lord will bless it. Just keep investing, and you'll never want an eternity. You'll never want. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for just this time that we've had in your word. A very simple thought tonight.